Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right. Hey, we want to welcome you to Believer's Church. We're so excited that you're here with us uh, for this fun summer weekend. If you're new here, my name is Joan. I'm one of the pastors here at BC. And uh, you couldn't have picked a more perfect weekend to come and check out Believer's Church. We're going to be continuing in this really fun series called I'm Not Blank Enough. And uh, over the last two weeks, I've just had such a blast. And listening back to the messages, they were so helpful. Pastor Graham and Matt Wilden. And Matt talked about how I'm not good enough. That was the blank he filled in. And Pastor Graham talked about how I'm not disciplined enough. And real quick, can we just give it up for them, man? They did such an incredible job. So good. So today, we're going to just continue... Uh, along that path, and I'm going to talk about this statement that can play over and over in our head, that I am not enough. And I'll unpack that as we go, but really this message is all about identity, right? I mean, this message in this whole series is about this word called identity, and it's so important because all of us identify with someone or something, right? I'm just going to venture to say there are some people in the house that are Pittsburgh Steelers fans, like anybody a Steelers fan in the house? That was weak, and I expected it to be. You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And um, so anyways, different kind of steal, but I thought I'd go there. Now, I would imagine there are some people that identify with the Cleveland Browns in the house. Can I hear it from you? God's people. You know, one day we're going to receive crowns in heaven for the pain that we endured on earth. And I think we're going to receive a Cleveland crown for being a supporter of the Cleveland Browns. I'm convinced of that. That's theology uh, that is biblical according to me. And uh, so, but listen, we all identify with someone or something. I mean, some of us identify with the celebrities that we follow, the shows that we watch on TV, the clothes that we wear, the amount of money that's in our, in our bank account, in our 401k, in our Roth IRA. I mean, all of us find our identity through someone or something. And here's why it's so crucial and so critical that we know where our identity comes from. And here's why. Because our identity shapes our reality. There is nothing that is a reality in your life today that wasn't first decided by you identifying with someone or something yesterday. Our identity shapes our reality. It's a really big deal. And God has a lot to say about identity in the Bible. And he starts at the very beginning in Genesis. And he makes a pretty amazing statement. Let's read this together. Genesis 1:26. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. And just time out real quick. Us is he himself and I, the Holy Trinity. Listen to this. Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. Now, just time out. This is the God that created the heavens and the earth and hung the stars and the galaxies in place. And we could never begin to fully explore how great he is. And he chose to make us in his own image, in his own identity. He could have made us in the image of anything, but he made us in his own image. And then he didn't stop there. Think about this. God loved us so much that the very first people, Adam and Eve, he wanted to have a relationship with them that was authentic, and they interacted with each other. And they actually say in Genesis that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the garden, this perfect paradise called Eden. I love that they say it's a walk with God, because that's really what a relationship with God is. It's a walk with God. And I just get this picture that step for step and stride for stride, Adam and Eve matched God as they walked through the garden. And when God spoke, they listened. And get this. Even better yet, when they spoke, God listened. God loved them, and he, he designed them to reflect him. We were all designed to connect with God and reflect 
his image as our father and as our creator. Now, think about this. Um, I, I would imagine all of us have some people that we identify with and we reflect them. And I, I was thinking about my son. His name is Joey. And he is now six years old. I can't believe it. He's going into first grade. I am so old. And uh, we're, we're just like having a blast walking through school now. And Joey is so me because we, we're living the same life. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was a PK. And sometimes pastor's kids, they get a bad rap for kind of a good reason, you know. Uh, but I was one of those pastor's kids that just loved growing up in the church, and my parents did a really good job of not pressuring me or making me feel like it was uh, forced on me. They just modeled what it looked like to love God, and I reflected that, in particular with my dad. And uh, you can go back in the family archives, and there's these VHS tapes of me dressed up in my Easter suit, and I had a Bible that was half my size that I could barely hold, and I would tell the camera that I'm Pastor Joe, and if you ever asked me what I was going to do when I grow up, I would tell you I was going to be a singing pastor. I got it half right. I don't know where the singing part came from. I was four. Give me a break. But I just knew from an early age what I was going to do. And here I stand, and that's what I want to do the rest of my life. But I could say that it was all formed, that identity and that image was formed reflecting my dad, walking step for step, connecting with my dad. And my son's the same exact way. Now, we're not entirely sure what he wants to do when he grows up. He's narrowed it down to like 15 things, and in the top three is like firefighter and spaceman, you know, astronaut, and maybe like a police officer, kind of like a Buzz Lightyear kind of deal. And I'd settle for pastor and astronaut, because that would make him a pastronaut, and that'd be pretty awesome. And uh, Mars needs Jesus too, people. And so uh, I, don't, I don't know. We try not to force that on him. But a couple of months ago, my son invited me to career day at kindergarten, and what a great honor, you know, and I'm still like in that phase where I'm cool to him, so I'm going to ride that train all the way into the station, man, because I hear there's an expiration date on that, and uh, it's counting down, and so he asked me if I'd go to career day, I'm like, sure, I'll go to career day, and so I end up talking to his teacher when I get there, and she tells me about this little moment that happened before I got there where they went around the class, and the little kids got to introduce their parents and say, hey, they're coming later today, and here's what they do. And when they got to Joey, Joey stood up real proud, and he said, my dad is a preacher. And this other little boy said, what's a preacher? And he said, don't you even go to church? Now, we're working on him with his people skills, you know, but... um. It is a foreign concept to Joey that there is anyone in the universe that does not live, breathe, eat, sleep, church, right? And doesn't identify as a pastor's kid. His teacher thought that was hilarious. And uh, when I got there, it was almost like we were a ministry team because Joey thinks like me and his whole mission was, Dad, I got to invite him to Easter. There's all this stuff happening at Super Kids. I got to tell him about it. And so he stood up in front of his whole class and told him everything that was happening Easter weekend. It was hilarious. And this girl raised her hand with a question. We counted that as a salvation. I see that hand right there. And... Uh, just telling you, man, we were, we were in sync. And uh, it was funny, though, because when I started, when I started my, my presentation, I brought my little iPad, and I followed a police officer. How are you going to beat that? Like, he had handcuffs. It, it was over. Like, as soon as those kids saw that, man, I couldn't beat him. And so I got up right after the officer, and I said, now, officer, I'm a pastor, and I believe it's a crime that any kid would be bored in church. And the kids, they loved that. And so I started to show them some pictures and go through the slide. But uh, I had a heckler. Can you believe it? And a uh, little kindergartner. Now, it was my son. It was Joey. And um, <laughs> apparently the talk wasn't going like he thought it should. And so in the middle of my talk, he gets up and walks in front of all 30 of his kindergarten classmates. And he whispers as loud as he can, Dad, tell him about the 210. And uh, now, for those of you that don't know what the 210 is, that's like our capital campaign. And call me crazy, but I didn't feel like that was the best first foot forward 
with a, you know, a room full of five-year-olds. But uh, my son is so excited about what's happening at this church, and they pump it into them, and super kids, and they know that their, their whole building's going to change, and they want to reach kids that are far from God. And so it's ingrained in him. And what's the point I'm making here? Our identity shapes our reality. And when we identify with our father, we connect and reflect his image. And that's exactly what Joey's doing. And that was the design that God had for us all along. Now, here's the benefit. God said, I'm going to make man in my own image. They're going to reflect me. And then here's what happens. This is so cool. So they can be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And here's the picture that it's painting. When we're right with God and we identify with him, everything benefits around us. Uh, if you want to see your job flourish, if you want to see your family flourish, your relationships flourish, your finances work, then be right with God. Identify with God as your father, and everything else is going to benefit in the process. Now, what's the greatest enemy to identity? I, I would say it's identity theft, right? Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with LifeLock. I'm sure some of you guys actually have LifeLock, but they are a company that is designated to protect your identity, right? And their CEO, his name is Todd Davis, he had a pretty clever marketing stunt. I'm going to show you the billboard right here. He actually advertised publicly his social security number. And uh, that's pretty bold, right? Now, he was so confident that they had everybody's identity on lockdown, including his own, that he gave this really personal information, kind of invited people in. And there were a couple hundred people that took him up on it, and 88 of them succeeded. He's had his identity compromised 88 times, and he's still working through all of that. Now, this is like a huge issue. Um, th this affects like 12 million people a year. The average loss is $5,000 per loss. That's just the average. And it affects people years and decades after it happens. And listen, I want to tell you something. There is an enemy to your identity when it comes to God, and his name is the devil. And the devil wants to distort God's image in his people. He's been trying to do it since the beginning of time. And uh, he did it with Adam and Eve. They were in this perfect paradise. Everything was going great. They, they had a walk with God uninhibited. They loved God and they connected with him, and the enemy wanted to stop it. And so he begins to make Eve question what God has said about himself. And then in turn, he begins to make Eve question what God said about her. She begins to question her very own identity, and with one bite of one piece of fruit, she compromises everything that she had with God. And that image of God in his people is fractured and fragmented from that point on. And there's this really fascinating moment, I want to read it together, where they realize the mistake they've made. Let's read this together. Genesis 3, verse 7. Immediately, you ever done something and immediately you knew you made a mistake? Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on, saw themselves naked. You got to remember that to this point, they were naked with no shame because they were covered by Christ. They were covered in a perfect relationship with God through identifying with him as their father, but all of a sudden they have this identity shift and they see themselves differently. And then I love what they do next. This is fascinating. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. And I think I can trace everything that we do to identify externally to this very moment. This is the first moment that mankind identifies, finds identity through something external instead of internal. To this point, their entire identity had been formed in who they were with their relationship with God. And all of a sudden they find themselves compensating and covering up with fig leaves. Now, 
that's just one problem. Like there was a curse that came from this bad decision that affects all of mankind. And there were some pretty rough things. Like ladies, you have Adam and Eve to thank uh, for, you know, pain in childbirth. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, for that. And uh, how about guys like working out in the garden? God said you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. But one thing that, I, you know, this is just my number one complaint. From this point on, man was going to have to shop with his wife at the mall. And come on, like that's just not fair. I'm convinced that this is where Forever 21 was created, because if you're a guy and you live here and there's no like men's section in Forever 21, you've probably been like me in Forever 21 for like an undetermined amount of time sitting like on the awkward stool, trying not to look like a creep as your wife changes and everybody else keeps coming in and out and your kids are screaming. And I think what God was saying is, Eve, you're not going to live forever, but at least you can look Forever 21. You know what I'm saying? That's just, it's the Bible according to Joe. I don't know if that's true, but uh this left mankind with this big question, and all of us have to answer it. Who am I? Right? I mean, this is the question that is central to identity. Who am I? And this is a question that God's people are confronted with all throughout the Bible. And one that I was reminded of is Moses. Moses is experiencing an identity crisis of his own. You've got to remember that Moses grew up royalty in the house of Pharaoh. He's an Egyptian royal. And somewhere along the line, he realizes that the people that are enslaved to the Egyptians are actually his people. Talk about confusion. Talk about an identity crisis. And so in a failed attempt to do what he was ultimately called to do, which is to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians, he goes and he tries to rescue a slave who was being beaten to death by an Egyptian soldier, accidentally kills him, and flees the country as a fugitive. Spends 40 years in the wilderness of misplaced identity. Has no connection with the God who created him at all confused, makes a life for himself, but then he's intercepted by God. And I love that God finds us right where we are. And sometimes even when we're running in the opposite direction and we're in the wilderness of misplaced identity, that God comes and finds us right where we are. And here's how God gets his attention. He's up on the mountainside and he speaks to him through a bush that's on fire but not consumed. That'll get your attention in a hurry. And then he goes out on a limb and he says, hey Moses, not only have I called you, not only are you one of my chosen people, but I want you to rescue and deliver my chosen people from the grip of Egypt and the Pharaoh, who you once called granddad. That's kind of a big day and a big moment in your life, right? A little bit confusing, and Moses, rightfully so, had some questions for God. And here's that question we were talking about. Let's read this together, Exodus 3.11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, God, I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. And he started running through the list of all the reasons why he wasn't God's right decision. And he says, God, look, I'm slow of speech, and I can't rub two convincing sentences together. I don't think you want me to be your mouthpiece. I don't think, like, I should be last on the list when it comes to that. And God, by the way, I'm a fugitive. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I, I shouldn't be back in Egypt right now. I'm a wanted man. I'm on milk cartons. Like, it's just not a good idea. And God's, God's pretty amazing. He, he answers this question, who am I? And he doesn't address what Moses isn't. He addresses who he is. This is really fascinating. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. Now, when I first got my license, I looked for any excuse I could to get out in my 2000 Dodge Neon, roll down the windows, and just stroll the town, man. Blast just great music and I would wait for my parents to say, Joe, go pick this up. Because, like, that was, that was my dream come true. Anybody ever been there? Like, that was just an amazing moment in your life, right? Well, when we used to have movie nights and my parents would say, go get some junk food, uh, originally we would, like, send my brother or something, but 
He would go with my dad's credit card, and what we would discover is they wouldn't let him buy anything at the register because his identity didn't match my dad's credit. And so, lucky me, I had my dad's name. And I would go with my dad's credit card like I owned the place, walk into Kmart like this, and I had my wallet, and it had two things. It had my identification, my driver's license, and it had my dad's credit card. And I would get anything I wanted. I'd probably throw a few extra things on there just for me on the ride home, and I'd put it on the conveyor belt, and I'd be like, boom. And then, then what would happen is they would say, hello, Mr. Caminetti, great to see you. Can we see some identification? I'd pull out my wallet, and I'd put my ID right there, and I'd put my credit card right there, and it would say Joe Caminetti on both of them. And they would let me get everything that I wanted, and I'd leave like a boss. And guess what? It had nothing to do with anything that was in my checking account, right? I was Poe. I couldn't afford the R. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was, just, I, I was just a student. I didn't have any money. But my dad had money in his account, and I went in my dad's name, and anything that I wanted as I identified with God, I had it. And that's what God's saying to Moses in this moment. Look, Moses, this isn't about anything that you aren't. This is about everything that I am. And I am comes from this Hebrew series of words that literally means existed. And so what God's saying to Moses in this moment is like, yeah, I know what your past is and I know what you aren't, but listen, I literally am that I am. I always was, I am, and I always will be. And when I send you to Egypt, I'm not sending you under your name. You're being sent in the name of the great I am. And everything that I say you are, you are. You might not be enough, but you're more than enough with me. That's what God's saying to each and every one of us this morning. And there's this other guy that has a very similar encounter with God, and his name is Gideon. And Gideon lives in this really tough time for the Israelites because they've begun to identify with foreign gods. And God tells them very clearly, if you do this, I'm going to lift my hand of protection off of your country, and bad things are going to happen. That's exactly what happens. They start to worship a god named Baal, and they start to set up altars to him, and all of a sudden, this nation called Midian comes in to attack them. And it's a massive nation with a massive army. And every time that the Israelites think that they're getting ahead and think that things are starting to go good, they get a harvest from their crop, the Midianites swoop in and they steal the harvest. They burn all of the crops and then they leave. Every time their livestock and their cattle begin to expand, the Midianites swoop in and steal it, swoop in and butcher them. They're killing their people. And so the Israelites are supposed to be living in God's promised land. God promised it to them. And they can't even occupy the land. They're living in caves, hiding out. And so Gideon... He hasn't heard from God. You've got to imagine, this is years upon years, and Gideon has no clue who God is, never been introduced to him, lives in this country that worships foreign gods, and all of a sudden, this man who is a messenger of God, Gideon doesn't know this, he's an angel, appears to Gideon, and his lead-off statement is kind of funny. Here's what he says to Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I think this is key to identity. Whoever we are with is who we're going to identify with. Whoever is around us forms and shapes our identity. And what God's trying to say is you might be a wimp, but with me, you could be a warrior. God specializes in taking wimps and turning them into warriors. And so Gideon, rightfully so, like all of us would, like Moses did, he has a similar conversation with God. And he says, like, pardon me, God, just time out real quick, Judges 6.15. Uh, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God, you know the, the wimp that goes to the beach and gets sand kicked in his face? I'm the wimp that that wimp picks on. Like, you, you know what? There's somebody down the road that his name sounds kind of familiar to Gideon. Maybe you're just at the wrong address. I just don't think you got the right person. And I love what God says. This is, this is awesome. Judges 6.14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. In other words, you got to do your part. God always makes us do our part. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. And then does this sound familiar? 
he says, am I not sending you? Now, when I was in grade school, if you ever got into kind of a war of words, there was this ultimate comeback that you could fire off at the other person. Y'all remember this? If somebody said, hey, you're a loser, you could say, I know you are, but what am I? You remember this? This was gold. Uh, hey, you're, you're, you're worthless. I, I know you are, but what am I? And you just, it was the ultimate comeback. I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me, sticks to you, I know you are, what am I? You know what I'm saying? Boom. You own the playground that way. This is what God's saying to Gideon and what God was saying to Moses. Every time we come to God with what we're not, every time we present to God all of our insecurities and all of our shortcomings and everywhere we fall short, God says, I know you are, but what am I? I know you can't do this in and of yourself. That's the point. You're not enough, but I'm more than enough. I know you are, but what am I? And let me just make this statement to you. We will never leave captivity until we leave behind our old identity. Moses discovered it and Gideon discovered it. We will never leave captivity, what's holding us down, until we leave behind our former identity. I know you are, but what am I? And I think this is awesome. Um, I just want to kind of take you through a couple ways as we kind of turn the corner in this message that we can change our identity. Because it's a big deal, right? If identity shapes our reality, then we certainly want to make sure we're identifying with the right things. And I want to do this according to one of my favorite sites online, WikiHow. And I don't know if you guys ever like go on Google or Bing or Yahoo and do a search, but anytime I ever need to know how to do something, WikiHow pops up. And it's like one of the most popular sites out there. And uh, I love it because they take complicated things and they give you a simple how-to guide and they illustrate it. So I'm kind of cherry picking a little bit, but you're going to see a few things that they actually recommend in the real world. If you want to change your identity, we're going to have a little fun with this. All right. So here's the first one. WikiHow recommends that you change your social security number. Pretty sound advice. And why do they say that? Well, because your social security number is attached and connected to everything you used to be. And every decision you've made, maybe every bad mistake you've made, maybe the very thing that got you in trouble to the point where you wanted to change your identity, it's all connected to your social security number. And it got me thinking, are there maybe some numbers in my life that make me feel secure? Where I, I almost wrap my identity in this number being what I'd like it to be. I don't know, maybe for you it's like the number on the scale. Every time you step on the scale, you're like, man, if I could just get that number to be 10 pounds lower, then I would be enough. Then everything about me would point to being good and being what I want to be, and my identity would be right where I want it to be. Some of you, you're like, man, I want it to be lower. Some of you want it to be higher, but it's the number on the scale. Some of us, it's the number on our paycheck. We're like, man, God, if I could just make this much, if my earning potential could just skyrocket to this amount, then I would be enough. Then everyone else would see that I have what it takes. Maybe it's the amount in your savings. I, I don't know what it is, but I think all of us have a number that we can tend to rely on to bring us security. And Gideon had a number that he relied on to bring him security. In Judges 7-2, Gideon has just assembled this massive army, and he's obeying God. He takes on God's charge to rescue his people and fight off the Midianite army. And he tears down all of the altars to Baal and he builds up altars to God in its place. He turns their sin into a sacrifice. He does all these amazing things, but then God says, hey, 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 you know that army of 32,000? I want to have a talk with you about this. They're right, we're about to go into battle the next day. Here's how the conversation goes. The Lord turned to him and said, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men and I, can you just imagine, like, this is the God that just gave you all this encouragement and said, go do it. He's saying, you have too many men. 
I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. I don't know about you, man, but there have been some moments in my life where if the numbers are on my side, numbers never lie. I'm right where I need to be, and I think everything is going to work out. And I think sometimes God is trying to communicate to us that, listen, you can do more with 300 men and me on your side than you can do with 32,000 men if I'm not in the picture. And I was just thinking about, man, what are the, the numbers that stand in our way of just obeying God and doing what he says? And maybe for you, the number is your age. And you're young and you're like, man, I could never do this significant thing for God. I'm too young. I need more experience. I need more people to have a platform to influence them. I, I don't think I could do it. Some of you, you're, you're too old in your mind. Oh, God, I could never do that. Reminds me of Abraham and Sarah, right? And I, I love this about God. God wants us to realize this one thing, that security is not found in a number. Security is found in a name. Security has nothing to do with the number of uh, the amount of money in your bank account or the amount of people that like you and follow you on Facebook, the amount of people that repost and retweet your stuff. It has nothing to do with any of that. All that it has to do with is, am I aligned with the one person that matters the most? If God is for me, then who can be against me? And uh, I was just thinking about on a personal level, in church, you know, maybe there are some people in here this morning, and you've been at Believer's Church, or maybe you're visiting, and you're rooted in another church, and you're excited about it, and for a long time, God's just been dealing with you to get involved and use your gifts and serve, and for you, that number that brings you security is God, like, I would love to serve you. I'd love to obey you as soon as my schedule allows me to, Like, as soon as I have this number of hours available in my schedule, this number of days available in my month, then, God, I would love to pull the trigger, and I'd love to be there all in for you. And I think sometimes God is saying, listen, no, just don't wait for it to all make sense. Don't wait for everything to line up and all the numbers to add up. Just know that your security is not rooted in a number. Your security is rooted in in a name. If I'm doing it for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be expanded in this earth, then God will make my schedule work out. I was thinking about this. 20 years ago, some of you were here for this. We did a building campaign, and it was called Building for the Harvest. And I was just a little kid, and I remember how excited I was because none of this existed yet. We were just in the old school building, and we were so pumped about what God was going to do. But it was like a five-year process, and we raised some of the funds, and then we were having zoning issues, and we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to build the building. And there was so much faith and trust required. And I just got to thinking about all the people that sat in seats over in the Super Kids and Paramount room, and they saw this vision of how many more people we could reach for God in our city and eventually in the city surrounding. And they said, you know what? This is worth my time, my passion, and my sacrifice. Yeah. And I, I'm just thankful that there are some people that did that for me. And guess what it got me thinking about? I remember when my parents made that sacrifice. And I didn't know how much money they gave or how much they pledged. But I knew what changed after they pledged. I knew we were doing a few less things every year and going on a few less vacations. And there were some things about life that changed for us. And I never regretted that. And can I tell you why? Because I knew that my parents didn't put their trust and their security in a number but in a name. And I'm so excited that now for my kids, my wife and I can, can hear from God and we can say, God, what's the number you'd like us to sow and sacrifice so that we can build for the next generation? And I'm just convinced that there are some kids that aren't even born yet that are going to lead this thing into the next 20 years. And there are some kids that aren't even saved yet and some people that aren't even in this building yet that are going to help us build the BC Boardman campus and BC Hermitage and BC Cleveland someday. Come on, we just got to start thinking a little bit bigger. And it all starts with the sacrifice inside of our hearts that says, I am not going to find security 
and the numbers being on my side. I'm going to find security in God being on my side. Now, here's the next one. They actually tell you in WikiHow to practice introing yourself by your new name. It's kind of funny, right? But here's what they know, that there are inevitably going to be some moments where pressure situations start mounting, and the old you is going to come to the surface, right? And so they kind of like just encourage you, like, get in front of the mirror. I love these pictures. I don't know how that illustrates that, but that's great. Hi, my name is, I guess. Okay. And so they start telling you to just practice it, rehearse it, Rehearse it when nobody's looking while you're driving. By the time that you need it, it'll be so inside of you that it's second nature. And uh, I think that's what God's telling each of us. It got me thinking about this show that I used to love. Anybody a fan of Family Matters in the house? Yeah, okay, great show. Uh, Maybe this will jar your memory a little bit. This was my favorite character on Family Matters. His name was Steve Urkel. Y'all remember Steve Urkel? Hello, Laura. And... uh, Steve Urkel was awesome. Steve Urkel was just a comedy of errors, right? Just the biggest dweeb in the world, said everything the wrong way, embarrassed himself and others along the way. But Steve Urkel had an alternate personality. Does anybody remember these episodes? Uh, When Steve Urkel would drink this magic solution, it was kind of like buddy love uh, back in the day. It was called boss sauce, and he'd drink that. And then he'd get into the transformation chamber, and out would come, you remember this? Stefan Urkel, right? (laughs) This is awesome. You can't make this up. And Stefan Urkel, he was smooth, man. Like, how awesome is that? Dressed to impress. Now, on the left, could that not be like a 2015 hipster right there? Like, my, how things have changed. But listen, Stefan Urkel was everything that Steve Urkel wasn't. I mean, he knew everything to say. He had confidence with people. He looked people in the eyes. He made deals. And uh, he was just right where he wanted to be. And I think this is kind of the picture that God's painting. Like, some of us need to step into the transformation chamber. And we just start to need to, we we need to rehearse what the new us looks like and just start calling ourselves by a different name. And I can't tell you how many times I've just been in rough situations where the old Joe wanted to pop up because I was getting pressured and all of a sudden something would rise up in me and I'd just say, no, 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 no. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. If God is for me, then who can be against me? And that new name and that new identity formed in Christ started to surge and everything else faded away. We've got to start rehearsing our new name. Now here's the last one. You ready? The last thing that WikiHow tells us to do, this is important. They say adopt new mannerisms, dress, and behavior. And I'm not talking about on a superficial level. I'm talking about inside. And you remember how Adam and Eve compensated by covering themselves with fig leaves? Listen to this. You can't make this stuff up. Colossians 3.11. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Talking about people who have followed Jesus. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. And I just love that God is a God that says everybody is invited to the table. And I don't know what your old label was and what your family told you you were growing up or what the people around you told you you could or you couldn't do, but God says you can and God says you are. He says you are all that he says he is and you can do everything that he says you can do. You gotta change out of that old wardrobe into the new one. And here's where we're gonna end. You know, I was thinking about one of my favorite shows, and uh, it's called Who Do You Think You Are? Has anybody ever watched that show? So good, and they help celebrities find their identity. And so they kind of try to trace back in their family history where they came from, their lineage. And it's really fascinating, and there's two things they always do at the very beginning. 
they always go to Ancestry.com and they look up their family tree. That's crucial. They, they see who came before them and who they came from. And then, if necessary, they go to their DNA and they try to find links in their DNA. Can I just tell you something? There are some people in here today that your family tree is not impressive. Uh, there, there are things in your family tree, as a matter of fact, that you're kind of ashamed of. And it's reinforced this idea in you your whole life that you are not enough. Can I just tell you something? When you're born into the family of God, your family tree is the cross of Jesus Christ, and your DNA is the blood of Jesus Christ, and it changes everything. That Genesis gene that you had, that Satan tampered with, it's restored inside of you. And all of a sudden, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, and all the old things have passed away, and behold, you're a new person. And I just want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head, and we're just going to have a moment between us and God. And I believe that he wants to do something incredible in you. And you might be here today and say, man, I feel like this just opened my eyes. I see it so clearly now. I want to do something about it, Joe. And I just want to give you a practical step. I just want you to begin to say what I say over yourself because I think it's good for you to hear it come out of your own mouth. And if this is foreign to you, man, this is so biblical. God challenges and encourages us to just say what he says about ourselves on a consistent basis. Let's practice that right now. Say, dear God, thank you that I am everything you say I am. I can do everything you say I can do. There's nothing in my way that's impossible because you're with me. I surrender my whole life to you. My identity is found in my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, everyone's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to just ask a favor. This is the most important moment of this service today. I just want to give an invitation. I just ask that you remain seated out of respect to the moment. I just want to tell you, if you're new and you're like, man, I've never heard of Jesus before in this light. You know, I, I was raised maybe in a church, but I never had a personal connection with God. I want to invite you to take that step today. You're among great company because many people in here have done that very thing, but we invite people who are still searching and trying to fill in the blanks. doesn't mean you understand everything. It certainly doesn't mean you're going to be perfect from this moment on. But have you ever put Jesus in the driver's seat of your life? Have you ever given him control and said, you're the Lord of my life? And here's what he promises when we do that. He says that if we put our trust in him, he makes this promise that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, that's God, except through him. He's the only way to eternal life. And he says it's this simple. If you just believe in your heart and you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. And you'll get to experience what life looks like with him. Live life to the fullest. And things aren't going to be perfect from this point on, but you're going to have God with you to help you and navigate every step of that journey. And people in here who have already made that decision that would love to do that with you. And I just want to invite you to pray this simple prayer. And if you meet it in your heart, a miracle takes place. And everyone else who's prayed this before, they're just going to, they're going to repeat it after me right along with you. Can we just, let's say this to God. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he loved me enough despite all of my sin, all of the ways that I fall short. He loved me enough to die in my place, to take my sin and my imperfections and nail them to the cross. God, I call you the Lord of my life. Jesus, be my Savior 
Come into my life. Change me. I identify with you. I won't be perfect, but I'm taking this step. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.